You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, 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 what is going on, guys? This is Doc Coyle, your host of the X-Man Podcast, and thank you, as always, for checking out the show. I greet you from uh, gray and rainy and a little cold Luxembourg. Uh, Luxembourg, Luxembourg. <laughs> no, we're, uh, we're, on, we're on the stretch run of this two-month-long tour of Bad Wolves with Volbeat, and it's going well. We're having we're having a lot of fun. I think I think we're doing really well on the tour. We're we're connecting with the audiences, and uh, Bad Wolves a couple of days ago just released our first Christmas song, uh, Carol of the Bells. Try and check that out if you're feeling in the mood. Just just something something nice. You know, we actually recorded it a year ago, uh, thinking it was going to come out for last Christmas. It didn't come out, but we got it out now. We got a nice little uh, ominous lyric video out for it but uh i think it came out really well and it was it was a lot of fun to do but now we're at the we're the stretch run here had the lady out for about a week and that was really nice and she just went back home so now i'm like you know we've gotten through most of the uh the tough times we had when i say tough times i mean it's it's not you know i think just being away for a long time is tough but i mean we just had I think I counted it. At one point, there were 16 shows and 21 days off. So in like a five and a half week tour, we had three weeks off, <laughs> which sounds nice. But you know, when you're you're working and you're trying to make money, you're gonna end up spending a lot of money and kind of the money you make out there, you're kind of just using to subsist. So it can it, it can take its toll, you know. But we had a stretch where we lost the. Portugal show due to like these trucker strikes and then something happened in Rome. So two of our shows, so we ended up doing one show in eight days, uh, which kind of sucked, but we also got to spend time in this really beautiful town in Austria called Innsbruck. And I recommend anyone to go there. It It's just breathtaking, uh, really beautiful town. Almost looks like parts of it look like the town from uh, Beauty and the Beast or something like that. They had this wonderful Christmas village and you know, mountains in the background, it's really, uh, really picturesque. And uh, it was really fun to kind of spend some time there. Had a late night drinking, <laughs> went to this crazy Irish pub and, uh, you know, was paying it, paying for it for, for, for a couple days. But it was, it was really, really a lot of fun. But now from here on out, it's just mostly shows. So, so we're, we're, we're back on the grind. We have a couple more weeks with Volbeat. And then we do our four 
UK shows. So uh, if you want to, if you're if you're a UK fan, try and get those tickets. Some small venues. I think some are going to sell out, uh, but it's going to be a lot of fun. And uh, I should probably also mention the God Forbid reunion shows on January sixth, twenty twenty three, in New Jersey at Starland Ballroom, and the tw- at in the seventh at the Worcester Palladium. We've added our support bands. We've got Nora. If you're you know New Jersey metalcore, uh, they're coming back. They haven't played in forever, and they, this might actually be their last show ever. Uh, so we got Nora joining God Forbid Bleeding Through, Shy Halud, and then we also have Living Wreckage, which is John and Matt from Shadows Falls' new band. And on the Worcester show, we also have Living Wreckage, but not the other bands. So uh, yeah, that was people were going crazy when we announced those bands. A lot of people, you know. They're excited. They go, oh, hey, God, hey, God when, when are you guys playing in, in, in L.A.? When are you playing in London? I go, maybe never. So <laughs> if you want to see, God forbid, book a plane ticket, get in your car, take a road trip, come to these shows because I can't say when we're going to play again. Uh, but I'm really getting really excited for it. I got a lot of work to get prepared for it. And also something I should mention, the uh, the Headbangers boat, the, the cruise, God forbid, is doing with... Lamb of God sold out in like a day. So if you missed out, you missed out. You're hoping to catch God on the boat. You didn't get your tickets. You're not going to see it there either. So bring your ass to Jersey. Bring your ass to Worcester. Uh, it's going to be it's going to be badass, and I'm really excited for it. So anyway, I'm not going to run my mouth too much uh, because we have a really you know thorough show today that I, I definitely don't want you guys to uh, to miss out on. So. We do have a sponsorship today. It's a band from Buffalo, New York. Uh, they're called Last Rain, and we're going to play a song for them entitled Sands of Fate. Enjoy.
So you just heard Sands of Fate by The Last Rain, and that's R-E-I-G-N, like raining the world. And I thought that track was super, super cool, very like technical and a lot of cool riffs and just fucking great energy. I like the production on it. Um, that was very cool. Uh, as you can hear, the kind of the melodic death metal sound out of Buffalo, New York, and they have uh, two full-length albums of original music, and they're about to release a fourth EP, followed by a third full-length, which is a compilation of all their EPs put together, um, and also the compilation, which is a bunch of covers they've done by, uh, uh, or from the artists Olivia Rodrigo, Arch Enemy, Journey, Moving Pictures, Wham, Huey Lewis, good lord, they're uh, <laughs> they're all over the map in a video game medley, and uh, they also have vinyl available for their sophomore album um, on a hundred gram color vinyl with a gatefold sleeve, and their online store is offering currently twenty percent off of everything with the coupon code Holiday two thousand twenty two and free shipping on orders over fifty dollars in the continental U.S. and that's at www.thelastrain.com backslash shop. And, uh, you know, they also have a link tree, link tree backslash the last rain. So huge thanks to them for sponsoring the show. I, I really appreciate it. I think they're a really cool band. And if you enjoy what they do, head over to their website, head over to their social media, uh, check out their stuff, buy their stuff and tell them dot com the X-Men sent you. If you would like to sponsor the show, uh, shoot me an email at the X-Men podcast at gmail.com. Remember that is EX or just hop in the DMs. And uh, without a further ado, just give a little quick intro for our guest this week, uh, Jason Bittner, the drummer from Shadows Fall, from Overkill, Flotsam and Jetsam, Stigmata. Uh, I've known Jason a really, really long time and someone I've been trying to get on the show for a long time. I know the artists that tend to come from the scene I came from, uh, with God forbid, the, you know, those seem to be the guys you, the audience wants to hear from the most and connects to the most. So Jason's story I always knew was, was interesting and especially, you know, like me, one of these guys that after things didn't quite work out, out the way we wanted with our original bands, we kind of found other places in the world and, you know, as, a, as professional musicians and, that, and that's so reputable and commendable. And, uh, and, you know, and I just, I love Jay, man. It was, it was really, really great to catch up with him on this conversation. So. I don't think I need to introduce him that much more because he's a badass. I know it. You know it. Please enjoy this great conversation with my good friend, Jason Bittner. There we go. There you go. There's that handsome face. There you go. All right. See, people don't know for Albany, that's like a, that's like a pure pretty boy. All right. <laughs> that's like backstreet boys for albany all right that those kind of looks i was yeah. looking up some videos this is, of, uh, this is, uh, i got up and put a hat on and went to and started my chores and errands for the day look yeah but you know, i'm saying you you know how white people age all right you're doing great all right oh look i got this is speaking of that i appreciate <laughs> that especially at 52 i told john damn I, dude i wouldn't i would not know that's crazy you don't look like that at all that's amazing thank you i think uh, no doubt in my mind that metal keeps me young sure uh i said to jonah before i came out to do this i go 
I don't know because she was just looking at your Facebook post the other day. I go, I don't know how I'm going to not start this conversation by just asking Doc about his dad's chest hair. So, <laughs> Dude, my dad was a G. All right. I, I mean, I know, I know the whole history. It was just from us and the God forbid days and stuff. I mean, I, 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 you know, but I was telling John, I'm like, no, their, their dad was a, a piano, piano, piano player, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. He played on two of the God forbid records too. And I, yeah, but I'm just saying, like, he, I was telling her, like, yeah, he was a professional musician. Like, you know, <laughs> that's where they got it from. In the, in yeah. The yeah. My, my dysfunction to want to live like a pirate. <laughs> probably comes from my my dad and 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 my mom to uh to some degree as as well just i had very little like i don't know what normal people were like like i don't you know just regular right. like right. nine to five like yep. going to work at the office like i never saw that yeah yeah so but that, well that that was my mom so i had the whole the whole uh, structured, steady side with that, but my dad was a contractor and a carpenter for his whole life. So yeah, but that's a real right. grown-up job, you know. Right, but but I watched my dad through all those years, especially when he was building his business, be just like us, hand to mouth, waiting for the next gig, waiting for the next tour, waiting for the next deck to be built. You know, when am I going to have a dollar again? You know? Yeah, sure, <laughs> sure. I Me mean, anytime, especially when you're it's a uh, small business or it's, it, you know, an entrepreneurial endeavor and you're kind of putting yourself out there. It's, I mean, that's what kind of like uh, buries the lead a little bit, especially coming from the kind of DIY hardcore world is that it, you, you don't realize it. I think at the time that you're learning kind of how to run a small business or, or be a self-starter, you know? Yep. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. You know, when you, and you know, also when you find out how much of that, stuff that you're doing on tour translates into the real world when you're going to actually fill out job applications and make resumes like yes i have through the, the last decade or so and those times where i've gone oh shit what's next so then you start doing all that and you you find like all these oh do you have a uh, managerial skills well absolutely i do because i have to wrangle these five drunk idiots to get back in the van every <laughs> single day so you know it's like you ex you can expand on what the topic is but you can still relate it back to what you did and go oh yeah i have tons of experience doing that <laughs> so you were, you were you were the tour mom uh depends on the band when i was in flotsam i actually tour managed for a, for one of the tours because we couldn't afford a tm i actually was doing the the, the, the that fucking job on on top of you know playing every night and you know as well as i do if you got to be the if you got to be the tm in any situation you're you're on all the time your phone's yeah. always on there's never a rest there's never nothing even though when your band's done okay we got we got the Got the rider, sound checks all done. Everybody else on the bus sleeping. Can I go take a nap? No, because now the opening bands are calling. Brr, where do I park? <laughs> you know, and <laughs> you know what I mean. So yeah, I don't, I don't envy that that position. I haven't had to do that in in quite some oh. time. Nope. <laughs> well, anyway, welcome to the show. This has been a a long time coming. We've been trying to work this out, and, and, and ironically, it ended up working out that as I'm in Europe on the road and you know i figured out like this this tour we're out, we're out with volbeat and it's like there's a lot of days off like we're literally in a one show in five days stretch <laughs> Shit. yeah it's crazy and you guys aren't doing any 
any sorts of any sort of one-offs or anything else like no and i think it's it's because the tour like goes everywhere so even though it's real spread out it would actually be hard to find a place to play because we're we're playing all the places just spread out you know um but i don't envy that what's that I, I envy that. I've never been on a tour like that where I've had just too many days off. I'm like, no, it's the total opposite. 19 shows in 20 days. That's Dude, I'm so glad I haven't done that in a while. I haven't done that since a European tour. I was playing with darkest hour and uh, I literally think it was say like 18 shows in a row, like no days off in a sprinter van fucking overkill tour that's just because that's the way they work they're in and out and get it done and i'm like and i'm like okay yeah i'm the guy back here (laughs) you're the athlete well i always think that for singers you know like if the singer can do it um that's like the hardest thing you know i mean but 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 drumming is not too far off right i mean i have no leg to stand on with that camp because blitz is 62 he's 10 years older than me and he's not the one crying about wanting a day off it's me so i'm like what am i supposed to say (laughs) if he's looking back on come on pussy (laughs) yeah he's fucking in great shape it's like you know yeah he's like a superhero yeah (laughs) but anyways yeah any anyways um so so like looking into this you know I'm trying to actually, I actually, I remember the day we met. Um, and it's funny cause it kind of all comes full circle because God forbid just announced this, these reunion shows, you know, in, in Jersey and in Massachusetts and bleeding through is going to be doing this with us. Mm-hmm. And the day we met, uh, God forbid was doing this run of shows with bleeding through and Avenged sevenfold in 2002 springtime. I believe. And I want to say two of the shows or three of the shows, Shadows Fall just headlined uh, a couple of these shows. And we played this, I forget the name of the venue in St. Louis, um, but just a tiny, tiny place. And it, whether you guys headline a couple of shows or we headline some of the shows, they, they weren't big shows. Like a big show on that run was like 200 people. Uh, it was very, very modest. <laughs> See, my mind is so blurry right now because you're going St. Louis and I'm going, oh, yeah, Pops, because that's, no. that's the only place that comes to mind or the pageant. And I know it's not either one of those. No, I think it was the Creepy Crawl. Oh, yeah. it was probably the Creepy Crawl or like someplace like that, like near. It was definitely in that in that area. But I but I remember, you know, be, but I, it was so vivid uh, because we came up with shadows fall did tons of you know, our first tours with shadows fall and the knife, you know, was the old drummer and uh, you know, and so just like, <laughs> it's funny just, just seeing you set up your drums beforehand and the way the drums looked and the symbols, I was like, Oh, it's a different, you already knew they had a better drummer. <laughs> <laughs> no, but no, I mean, no, but I, I think your energy, you know, from the second I met you was like, professional drummer like that's what i i gather from you you've always had that get away from me and my shit i need a radius (laughs) (laughs) don't stand too close no you had like there's a certain look of someone who's sitting on their drums like it's like i'm working i'm still like that dude they were clean you know you know when the drums are like buffed up the shine (laughs) all the cymbals are clean no broken cymbals (laughs) because back then that was kind of a luxury (laughs) Absolutely, it was. You Absolutely know, it was. yep. 
but uh but no but like so i was aware of the band's uh stigmata and i can't remember if i if we played together or if it was because back in the day there would be these like uh compilations right and there'd be tons of bands from especially like in the east northeast right it'd be clustered of like and you would find out about bands through 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 these comps and i'm sure i had like you know uh maybe like mixtapes or, or different things. So I was, I was aware of the band. Um, I just remember we had, a, sing- we had two, we had two back in the day that we were part of that were big for people uh, hearing stigmata outside of like this area. Yeah. One was, uh, one was the East coast hardcore compilation. Yep. That's probably it. That's probably and another it. one was called Oi. It was an Oi tribute. And we had a couple songs on there and that, that had a lot of like buzz through Europe and stuff. So that's where like that band stayed. So and I'm, it's kind of funny because like, I sort of like sometimes like giggle about stigmata a little bit, like me and Mike, Mike Maney, the founder and guitar player, like we always giggle about this stuff. Cause we get asked constantly, Oh, let's do a reunion show. We're like, Oh my God, will you just please let this horse stay dead? It's done. We did what we did back then was great. But every time we we ever try to do like another reunion, it just seems like it's never as good as the one prior. Like there's less yeah. people or it's like, why do we do all this work again for this? Like, it's just not, it's not. But my point is, it's like, it's still, I find it funny that this band still gets mentioned a lot to me from people every, in just certain different circles. And it comes from out of nowhere too, really sometimes. Like I'll be making like, some post about overkill or something. All of a sudden I hear someone mentioning stigmata. I'm like, well, that's weird. I get it. I, I understand it more with shadows fall because that was my trajectory. It was right into that from when we ended, but I it's, it's weird sometimes when I see it like mentioned on the overkill page or whatnot. Yeah. I mean, but just going and looking back, like I, I wasn't even aware uh, a how early stigmata started, which was, which was the first demo according to my, very limited research was 1990. So I managed the band was playing probably before that in the late eighties. They, they were, they were under, they were under a different name. They started at, they started as like really a pure hardcore band called cranial abuse. Nice name. Yeah. And then cranial abuse lost a few members. Then they changed a few members and then they became stigmata. Stigmata did their first record, uh, I, I want to say it, which was The Heart Grows Harder. And I was still, I was very much involved when that was happening, ironically, because I was going to, I was I was home from Berkeley. I was still, I was attending a community college at home, but I was still taking a few music courses, even though I wasn't going for music. And I was taking a music business course with the bass player at the time of Stigmata. And at that point, they were they were recording. Oh no, I'm sorry. The first record's called "The Calling of the Just," and they recorded it on some small label that they got money from in California. And they were doing that in. So I was in SCC '92. The first they were probably Stigmata by '89, but the first record I think was '91. But it didn't come out till like another 18 months later. It was, it actually got recorded in California. And this was this whole story I was hearing about. So I'm here. It was funny because I'm hearing this, this guy, Dan, talking about, yeah, my band's going to California and recording this record. And I'm just sitting there going, how the fuck are these guys going to get to go to California and record a record? I came and fucking get a goddamn demo made here. You know, I'm just like, in my mind, it's like, it's already the cop, the musical. Was there a, a label involved that helps? 
There was. They had they're on some label out of California. But once again, I'm going, how did a band from Albany, New York, get on a California label? This now this was like in the late 80s. This is yeah. before the internet, and you could just blab everything to everybody. So I just found it funny that three years later, I ended up being the drummer in this band. So I already knew the history because I'm like, oh yeah, it's like that guy Dan. They were making the record in California. But what happened was they got so hung up with the with the first label that they ended up getting their second record recorded and almost released before the first one came out. <laughs> so it was almost like a, a, a boom, boom kind of thing. Like the calling of the just came out finally. And then they put out the heart grows harder. And then I joined and then we made the record, which was called hymns for an unknown God, which came out in 95 that Harley Flanagan produced. And that pretty much was like the record for that band. Yeah. At that point we were, constantly doing label showcases this that and the other thing it was us and marauder playing all these same shows together and it just turned out and i didn't find out i didn't know any of this information until years later when i was in stick uh, in shadows fall at that point back in time the 90 early uh mid 90s both bands did a lot of shows with biohazard and uh and af and everybody down in new york hardcore scene century media kind of was on the fence on what band they were going to sign, whether it was going to be Stigmata or Marauder. They picked Marauder because they thought that we, we seemed like we weren't cohesive as a unit. And it seemed like, like uh, us personally. And they thought that we had, we, we could possibly break up. Ironically, it was the other band that was all messed up internally and fell apart we only broke up because we couldn't get a deal. And we finally yeah. just said, all right, we're done. Mike went to tattoo in New York for, you know, for a number of years. And eventually we got back together and made another record. But then I, and after that, I joined Shadows Fall. But it's just kind of funny at that. And when I joined, Robert at CM told me, he goes, yeah, we almost signed you guys. And I'm like, why didn't you? He's like, because we thought Marauder was going to be the better option. I'm like, oh. Well, I mean, you you can make a strong case. And I'm, I'm you know, buddies with uh, Beto, who's the guitar player in Madball and who had played with the Marauder. And he was telling me that Marauder, that they had like, they had a very strong image. And he said they were like one of the first like bands of the hardcore scene to like all wear black and kind of all like that. He said a lot of those like more tough guy or like even biohazard bands like that borrowed a lot of the imagery of like what a band like that was supposed to look like. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, when you listen to that record, Master Killer, I mean, that's it's a fucking classic. In that, that fucking in that. record is good, dude. I still listen to that record all the time. It yeah, fucking, it's just great songwriting. Fun to the ending track, it's fucking great. Yeah, but the one thing I say that's very similar about the two bands, Sigmata and and Marauder, which I could see from their perspective of like maybe it was the same lane or we got to pick one, is that it Absolutely. really rode that line between hardcore and metal. Like there's Sigmata is very very metallic. Um, absolutely i i only i only think that stigmata is not a metal band because of bob's vocals that's yeah. the only reason why if you had a different singer on that someone was less abrasive maybe i think it would definitely fall more into the metal vein than hardcore there at least at least with the hymns for an unknown god record because that's definitely more metal influenced writing the next record after that definitely is more stripped down as far as the songs like in a hardcore sense but absolutely, I agree with you 110%. Yeah, I mean, a lot of that stuff is also just culture and scene, right? Like, you can be a quote-unquote metal band. Like, I listened to All Out War, for example, 
who is, you know, very much of that same like uh DNA, right? Of coming around the same time and combining. I have to show I have to show you this because you just said this, and Maddie Byrne laughs his ass off every time he comes to comes here. Oh my god, I just hope you can see it. I have all this shit in front of it. Okay. Uh Oh, I see. All, right. all Out War, Stigmata, Stark date. Weather. This this poster, All Out War, Stigmata, Stark Weather, Negative Male Child Crisis, another band I Whoa. Tree, $8 at CBGB's, August 26, 1994. Wow. I was, I was in Stigmata. Matty Byrne was in All Out War. How was the turnout? I, dude, I don't... I, <laughs> don't remember. I, I want to say I think it was I think it was pretty much nuts to butts, yeah. you know, for, for that, that period of time, and and at CVs on a Saturday. I feel, but was a, was crisis like on a on a bill like that? Were they like the odd band out, or were they kind of of the scene at that time? Well, no, because it was just the way that that music ran down. I mean, you have headliner, all out war, hardcore band, second in line, Stigmata, hardcore sort of metal band, all out, uh, <clears throat> negative male child. I remember what they were. Tree, they were another kind of avant garde band out yeah. of Boston. And that's where you get Brian weighing in on this. He would know. And, dude, and Stark, Starkweather considered to be by many the kind of proto metalcore band. Yeah. So like Crisis, at they just they fell into it all because they still had all those elements. Yeah. And and the, the other thing they had going from at that time too, and I'll say it because I was still in Stigmata that time, and I wasn't in that band. Was they had Karen? You know. Yeah. Yeah, and that's and that was even more a rarity to have a female yeah. vocalist in like an extreme band. Absolutely, or, or a female member in, at all, you know. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So one thing I, I was interesting, I think about you is the fact that you you did go to Berkeley, and that um, you know, but somehow you were a part of this kind of hardcore scene, and and you know, and, and sometimes it's. Be you know, growing up in that around that area, the northeast tri-state area, it's almost like that's you know, I, I can't speak to your experience, but for me, it was about like that's what was going on, and we found it and it was like it, it just felt vibrant. And like, here's a place where there's a community, and even though, like, instead of I always felt like a metalhead kind of like uh undercover, <laughs> like Trojan horsing in in the hardcore scene but i ended up falling in love with it and learning about all these different bands and and all this you know just it was it was incredible to 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 get that to be a part of that and be there for the, for, for that moment was your experience similar to that where you, you uh maybe musically were were delving in different realms and just kind of fell into that like how what was your experience of being kind of a more like schooled or like kind of intricate musician within this gritty scene. Okay. Well, let, let me try to wrap and make, make all those points in a, in a quick answer too. the first, first thing for me. Okay. I, yes, I'm an educated drummer. Yes. I can play numerous styles. Yes. I've been teaching for almost 40 fucking years. I, I can read music. I can write music. I can do a lot of things that some other drummers can't do. Not knocking any drummers that aren't educated. There are plenty of guys that, just pick up the sticks and can play better than I can. They just might not be able to write out what they're playing, but it, it's neither here nor there. This is something I gravitated to when I was a kid. When I was a kid, I was in all the bands, 
concert band, stage band, jazz band, orchestra, anything involved with the drums I, I was a part of. When I was a kid, I used to like going to drum clinics. So I knew that if I ever got a chance to be a pro drummer, I want to do clinics and I want to, you know, I want to show people how to do stuff. Like I watched that guy at drum sound the other night, you know, that was really cool seeing that in a setting of, you know, the guys right in front of me with 20 other people. So these are always things I wanted to do when I was a kid. <clears throat> so being, but then I got disillusioned with some stuff in high school. Like I, I, I did marching band for my first two years in high school and I broke my wrist racing BMX and I had to sit out the first, uh, first couple months of, of, of school being out of banks, I had a cast on my wrist. So I lost my snare drum position in, in marching band. And when I was to go back in, they wanted to demote me to bass drum. And I was like, fuck you. I'm going to go home and play Russian Iron Maiden songs. And that's what I did. Uh, so that's when I left the, the, the musical institution of, of, of higher learning and, and educate stuff. I didn't get back into doing stuff until my senior year of high school. Cause I had gone to, I moved to a different high school I did play in the band in 11th grade, but my senior year, I got back into everything, band, orchestra, jazz band, because I wanted to go to Berkeley because I, that's what I thought I wanted to do. I saw ads like go to go where Steve Smith and Vinnie Colliuto went, go to Berkeley. That's what I want to do. I'm, I'm going to go to. So somehow my my mother and, and my father had gotten enough money to, to pay for one one semester, at least to get me there, because that shit was expensive then. Yeah, it, it's it's ridiculous now, but. 35, 40 years ago was still expensive. So I, I re-upped everything in high school so I could get back up to snuff to get in, to be able to pass all my exams to get into school. Cause now I had to get my reading, I had to come back. I had to learn theory and all this stuff in order to pass all the entrance exams into school. So I get into school. So now remember, I'm always the guy in the, in who's, who's, teaching my friends the Rush songs or teaching my friends the parts from Iron Maiden because they couldn't figure it out. So I was always like that guy, not like the best guy in the area, but the guy who knew how to break shit down or knew how to, to teach it to other people. So I went off to Berkeley and I kind of say what happened to me there. I just got oversaturated with music and I got burnt out really quick. I Because I, I basically did what a lot of people do. They went there for a year, a couple of years, they meet people, they leave, and then they just get out and do their thing. And that's yeah. what I did. I went there the first semester. I went to the first semester. The first semester, I was like this. Oh, my God, it's fucking music. 24-7, 365. This is awesome. My second semester, I was like, oh, my God, it's music. Every single minute of the damn day. I can't take it. <laughs> that's, how, that's really how it was. It was, like, oh, it's, it was taking the enjoyment out of me. Yeah. Berkeley will not teach you how to get in a van with four other guys and go around the world and try to get from show to show. Berkeley will not teach you how to deal with club owners who don't want to pay you at the end. They're not going to teach you how to make five bucks last between four. You know what I'm saying? It's not going to yeah. teach you what the school of hard knocks is going to teach you. So I met some dudes. We were going to form a band. We formed a band. It didn't work out. We all left school. We ended up back in New York. And then, you know, after my one year at Berkeley, I came home with a lot more knowledge of way more different styles of music, which was great because it was all this stuff that I was able to learn there that I could bring into my own teaching for years, for years to come. Still teach things that I learned there when I was 18 years old. So all of that was great. So once I came home and I was like, you know, that guy in the scene, I'll I'll be quite honest with you. In in this area, there were other drummers that I listened to. Other drummers that made me uh, 
you know, kind of perk up or whatnot. But I, the first drummer who really fucking made my head spin around 360 playing in this scene was in 1994, the first time we played with Ken Daria. And I watched fucking Ken load his tiny little drum set in. And I went, <laughs> that's all he's got in my head, right? And I just watched him and I'm like, holy shit, I don't even play the same instrument. And that, that's how I still feel about him. So, you know. Th- like, Love Ken. If it was, by the way, wasn't for Ken, I wouldn't be playing in the wedding band with Trujillo and Kirk. So there you go. It goes. That's much, right. This, the scene runs Ken. deep. Much love for Ken. So it was always that thing. I think I think what Berkeley gave me was a level of prof- professionalism and also a level to just want to do my best no matter where I was, whether or not it was at the QE2 in Albany in front of 35 people in a hardcore matinee or whether or not it was 600 people at Saratoga Winters or whatnot, you know, or at a festival, you know, nowadays when you're playing, you know, whack it in front of 60,000 people or whatever it is. It just, I think school just taught me to just do the best I could under whatever the situation was going to be. Did, you know, given that you had a professional, professionally minded uh, track kind of coming out of there, did it ever occur to you like, Hey, I'll move to Manhattan or I'll move to LA and kind of look for be a, that kind of guy. It was always that it was just never, it was just never pulling the trigger on it. It was, you know, Back when I first got home from school, I just kept thinking like, oh, if I just stay here, you know, I know I'm in upstate New York, but you can get to New York City within three hours. You can get to Boston in three hours. All these places you can get to from here very easily. Yeah, yeah you can't be in L.A. tomorrow to do a session. But I mean, whatever. Most places are are fairly close to get to. So it's like there was definitely a period of time where I, I thought that maybe I was going to move to New York. And I was like, nah, I just can't I can't afford to live there. It's going to be ridiculous. I just never did it. Um, thought about moving to LA too. Just yeah. never, never did it. Had some shots, had some shots at, at gigs out there too. Um, which is, this is a fucking funny. I feel like you would, you would personally fucking hate LA and you'd be there for like a year. And if you didn't would, get like the right gig, you'd be like, get the, get me out of here. I think you're absolutely right. I, I, cause I still, I still don't enjoy LA. I don't, it's just, it's just different. It's a different lifestyle than it is on this coast. I know, I know everybody says that, but it just, it just is. Yeah, Um, absolutely. It just is. I fit fit now more than I do in, in, in Jersey. Jersey. (laughs) I do. I'm telling you, my personality is a, is a bit more, uh, you know, I don't know. I don't know. Like I said, I still love going, going, going back home, but it's definitely a different vibe. Sure. But I, you know, I, I used to get calls for, for certain things. And I, I, you know, like I was saying, there's a, I have a funny story. One time I, I got a phone call in. Oh my God. All right. So now what, what year is this? This is 93, 90, 93. Okay. There's been a lot of bands that I could have tried out for, but just for whatever reason, it just didn't work out. Um, so 93, I'm playing in a, ironically, I'm playing in a theatrical makeup death metal band in this area called Symptom Hate. This is a band that I played in before Stigmata, okay? This band is, is important in my timeline because I opened up for Overkill in this band. And Blitz and Didi still remember this to this day because they watched from the side of the stage and they watched, the, I asked them before the show if they'd watch my band and they did. So that I couldn't believe in the first place. So I looked over to the side of the stage, like two songs in, I see them two watching. I'm going, 
Oh, little did I know that they're going to be my bosses 25 years later. But Blitz still gives me shit over. He goes, I remember you were done with that set. You're sitting there taking your giant drum set down, all makeup running down your face. I'm like, yeah, great. Thanks. So I was in this band and, and we had this manager who lived in New York City. And she calls me one day. She goes, hey, she goes, I got, an, I got a, 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 a possible gig option for you. I'm like, oh, yeah. And she goes, yeah. She goes, I, I, I got a phone call from my friend and I, I hear that Testament's looking for a drummer. I'm like, really? So she goes, yeah, here's the number to call. So <clears throat> she gives me this number and she goes, the guy you want to talk to is Chuck. I don't, th you know, I'm like not thinking I'm going to call Chuck Billy. I'm going, wow, it's kind of weird that Testament's manager's name is Chuck too, right? <laughs> So fucking naive, Doc. 23, I have no idea. You yeah. know, I think these guys are millionaires and they're fucking yachts and everything. So I'm like, fuck it, you know? So it was right after, it was it was during the uh, the low period because it was, it was, they were replacing, they were replacing Tempest and when Johnny left to join White Zombie. So, um, so I call and I'm talking to this guy for like 15 minutes and he's telling me all about it. And I'm just like, to this day, we just, we laugh about this all the time. I go, so he's telling me all about it. He's like, yeah, we're going to go back and we're playing like a lot of old stuff and stuff. And I'm going, wow, he, he's saying we, like he's like a sixth member of the band. That's that's kind of cool. <laughs> so stupid and naive, Doc. I'll say it again. So after like 15 minutes on the phone, he, so he tells me, he goes, well, you know, we, we've been playing with this guy and it seems like he's probably going to be the guy. He goes, but he goes, if you want to come out and audition, we'd be willing to, you know, to, to, to give it a shot. And I'm like, well, let me at least send you the press kit and then let me know. He's like, all right, cool. So I go, all right, let me get a pen. So I'm like, okay, Chuck. I'm like, so what's your last name? He goes, Billy. And I went, what? <laughs> he goes, Billy. And I go, I'm talking to Chuck Billy. <laughs> he goes, who did you think you were talking to? I thought it was the manager or something. So like all, every time I see him, like, well, not every time, but like, it's come up before. I'm like, remember that time I called like 25 years ago? I thought you were the manager. <laughs> so needless to say, I never went out there because at that time, so let's put the names in. They had already been playing with Deddy. They knew they were going to take Deddy, but he's like, hey, if you want to come out on your dime and like, you know, just jam with us. And I'm like, look, at that point, that was a $900 flight out of my pocket that I had not even $9 for. Uh, sure. I'm going to san francisco to be in a band that they already think they got a replacement drummer this is this isn't gonna work so pass supposed to audition for machine head in 95 before dave mcclain got in that didn't work out but a lot of near misses hypo that was a that was a miss too mind funk that was a miss too another jersey but, I, but i'm telling you half of getting dude but half of the getting these gigs is like there's a reason why uh i'd say half the time the person who gets a gig at least from a touring standpoint and a playing live standpoint is like the tech right because usually shit goes down and it's like who's around right right and yeah. and, and proximity and i and i and i i feel like for me if i didn't move to la i wouldn't i wouldn't be do, near close to what i've been doing the last you know five six years you know, if it wasn't, it was, it wasn't. And a lot of that was just being on top of mind and being out there and socializing and, and just kind of being, being in, in the mix, yep. you know, as much, as much as possible. Yeah, to win it. Um, so 
you're you know you're playing with stigmata all these years and was there ever a thing and i think this is something that and just so you know for the record sure. i always felt like a, a metal a, a metal drummer that was chained up in a hardcore band yeah and that and by the way and that's really common like like that reminds me of like jason um jason from all that remains right when he was with diecast like you go see that band you're like they got this fun guy who should probably be in deicide <laughs> you know playing in this like beat down hardcore band and those and those people like you know and and even to some degree it's like with shadows fall it's like you knew john was gonna find a gig because there's just not that many you know when you have these people that are kind of have this yeah. skill set above and beyond same with you like you were always going to land on your feet because you're a pro and you're at a, you're at a certain certain level and um there was always, always those people kind of masquerading in the in the hardcore scene and it was uh holding them back a little bit but this is something I think that comes into our minds probably as we get older, maybe in our thirties and where we're playing in these kind of underground extreme kind of bands. And then it kind of dawns on us later, like maybe I should probably be playing music. That's a bit more accessible or that has a, a bit more marketability. And I, and I guess for you, that opportunity came along uh, with, with shadows fall, who was like, you joined with the band at the exact right time as they were kind of finding kind of a to me like a art of balance which is still my favorite shadows fall record is the band we were finding our sound when i joined it but that but to me that was like it, it's a very confident album it's like we know who we are we know we're, we're we're kind of blending these styles we're learning how to like that was the album where the band realized like they didn't have to they could make a song that was simple, you know, and it didn't have to like be overly technical. It could that be one in the studio too. Cause I would, I'm sure you'd be referring to destroyer because that's the one I'm referring to. Cause it's two minutes and 50 seconds long. And that was the last one written in the studio, but that was, you know, yeah, but that's where like nine out of 10 times hook hooks are going to come from simplicity. Still in the set. Yeah, I don't, think, I don't think that 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 song ever got dropped in the set because first of all, it's a great song and we enjoy playing it. And plus, we always go, ah, it's only two minutes and fifty seconds. Come on, I'll just get it in there somewhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, no, but but um, no, but I think you 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 joined the band at the right time, and there was obviously um, a commercial viability in that project that was not existing uh b- beforehand. How exactly did you have a relationship with those guys beforehand, or how did how did the yeah, connection? I was, to, I was just about to go in our whole in, into our whole incestuous boat that we all used to fucking sail on. <clears throat> Another chapter got added to this story over the pandemic, which I never realized this either, which makes this story even fucking way more incredible. Okay, so yes, we we already knew each other from years back okay let's go back with not stigmata but offshoot of stigmata burning human my death metal band which came out of stigmata because it was two guys that used to roadie for stigmata and two guys from stigmata so years ago when we were first active 95 96 we played a number of shows with push button warfare whose band was that that was um uh paul's band right oh no it was zeus's band was zeus in it all and zeus yes so already playing shows with guys who I'm going to be working with 10 years later. Uh, weird, right? So uh, later on down the line, 
when I'm in crisis, played with Overcast a bunch. So met Brian through that whole scene there. So, and then years later, Stigmata did the Of One Blood CD release party at Pearl Street. Mm. So, and I sat there the whole entire time going, you know, these guys would be good if they had a better drummer. Because I just kept, I just kept listening. I kept hearing the drummer go out of time or like the band sound like the record was skipping. I'm like, these guys would be really good if they had a, a better drummer. Not, not knowing I was going to get a phone call a few months later. But yes, the only person I didn't know really was, was John because I'd never played with John before. I played with everybody else in Shadows Fall and their other bands. Not Matt, but I knew Matt through the scene a little bit. So it wasn't like I was a stranger walking into that band. When I went to rehearse with those guys, the, the, when I went to jam with them the first time, the only guy I really was meeting really meeting was John, even though I met him at the show, but that's, you know, quick and passing. Hey, how you doing? I'm Jason from Stigmata, blah, blah, blah. You know, I'm going to forget who you are 10 minutes from now, you know, because that not because I'm going to forget because I don't want to know who you are, but you know how that stuff is when you meet people and there's so much going on. Like, yeah. all right, I'm, I'm, I'm probably going to forget your name. I'll, I'll probably ask you three more times. You know, that's the way it goes. Um, so yeah, there was, uh, there was already, that was already sort of established like the, at least a relationship on a personal note with those guys. They thought they had a drummer. They had a drummer. Supposed to be Matt. Matt. Matt, Matt went down. Matt who? Burn. Matt Byrne. Really? I didn't, whoa. Down. Is that went, oh, is that like common knowledge? Uh, I think so at this point. He went down. He played with them. They were going to start working with him. And then Jamie called him. Wow. And Matt went off to do hate breed. And that's when Sully called me back. Oh, we thought we got a guy, but we don't. And I'm like, oh, my mom just died. I was like, all oh, a mess. I'm like, I don't really want to go jamming a fucking band. Stigmata just broken up. I, I'm like 31 and I'm like, I'm over this shit. Yeah. I'm, I'm not going to make it. Okay. I'm, I'm fine. I'm going to go work my state job for the rest of the year. And that's what it's going to be. But it, it, le level heads prevailed. And a few months later, things, things changed. So. I mean, but was that on your kind of? It's it, actually interesting. I wonder if it, the 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 streams could have crossed and you could have been the, the drummer of Hapery. <laughs> I, I don't. I don't know. I just. I. It's really. It's really strange. Oh, but the one thing I wanted to mention the 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 thing that I just found out about the pandemic. Okay, this is fucking so odd. So, I talked to Abzal a lot. Everyone, you know, over every few months, the the guitar player from from Crisis. So, and he's, he lives in Florida now. He's got a bar down there and he's doing some other music with, with their old drummer and stuff. And I found this videotape of us playing the espresso bar in Worcester. Remember that place? Um, I, I probably saw it on like, you know, tour things, but I never, oh, no, 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 I was never there. Never played there. Well, anyways, well, anyways. So I have this videotape crisis at the espresso bar. I'm like, wow, this is funny. So. I start watching it and I somewhere they show like the flyer for the show and it says overcast. I'm like, are you fucking shitting me? I'm like, I have a video and Brian was the band on after us. So this is when the reunion fucking show is going down at the plate. I happen to be on the phone with ogre or I'm sorry, Scott Lee. Don't, don't use the, does not. Is like he not? Him. No, is he not? He want that name canceled? Does not that, that name definitely cancel it. Okay. So take that. Let's let's rewind that right out of the podcast. 
No, we're leaving it in. We're le- I just saw Lee. I just saw Scott. He's fine. He'll be fine. So so I'm on the phone with Scott, right? And I go, dude, I just came across this fucking this videotape as a crisis and fucking overcast at the espresso bar. He goes, you want to know what else is funny about that night? I go, what? He goes, that is the night that Matt, John and Paul came to the show to ask Brian to join shadows fall. I went, you're fucking shitting me. He goes, I am not. I go. So in 1997, the the band Shadows Fall that everybody came to know by 2002 was all in the same room together. He goes, yep. I'm like, that's insane. And he goes, let me tell you another thing on top of it. And Avzal fucking uh, backed this one up too. He goes, today is the day was in town too, playing somewhere else. And he goes, and Steve and Braun came to the show. I go, so I met Braun way back in 1997. He goes, yep. I went, Wow, I didn't think I met him until South by Southwest in 2002. <laughs> so, so like that's how like small and incestuous yeah. that scene was. So I just like when he told me that, I was like, wow, that's just fucking funny. Knowing that while probably while Crisis was playing, fucking those guys were at the bar in the other room trying to fucking get Brian to join Shadows Fall. And it's funny, Brian probably mentioned that show on this podcast which brian was on this podcast i think he was one of the first like 10 yeah. interviews i did but i think uh he, i'm sure he, i'm sure he, he he brought that up um <laughs> fucking crazy man absolutely mostly every single band i have to say that probably every single band that i've played i've played in there was a reason why i i knew them in some way shape or form before i was in every band toxic knew them Flotsam and Jetsam knew them since 1988. Overkill, known Blitz and Didi since 1993. Uh, it's like one of those things. It's just like not like, hey, how did you did you did you know those guys? Like, yeah, I knew them for like almost three decades before I got in the band. Yeah. Well, it's- one of the things I, I have to say though, I, I feel like, you know, whether it was you joining with Shadows Fall or like Mike Justine joining um, on Earth, right? There was these moments where I get all- on Earth now too. Is he back in? I think so. I have no idea. I have no idea. Maybe, maybe that's the Nick, case. Nick and Ken defected to <laughs> as they lay dying. Not Nick. 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 Nick's playing with God forbid. Speaking no, of incestuous. No, 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 no. Not, 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 not your Nick. I know that. Nick Pierce. Yes. Yes. Drummer. Yes. Correct. I heard correct. that Mike came back to replace him. Yes, correct, correct. Yes, it, speaking again to the incestuous so the nature. The moment that you guys announced Nick playing with you guys, we were all like, "Oh, that's so awesome! We love Nick." Everyone loves Nick. He has a one hundred percent approval rate. Can I now tell a story how we used to we used to bring Nick into the back of our bus and get him high secretly when we were on tour with him, and he couldn't tell as I lay dying. High on weed? Yes. I I I had no idea. You see, you're rat- ratting him out. Is he gonna get mad? He's like, "Hey guys, it was 2007." Hey. It was all right. Everyone survived. Uh, um, no, um, no, but like there was this thing of like these bands who were ascending, but maybe like I said, it was a situation where uh, a member wasn't at the quite the level of what I think, especially like back then, what people don't remember is like, this is before everyone was on backing tracks. <laughs> this is before every record could be just fixed. Right, like you actually needed someone <laughs> who could play, right? <laughs> right, and so, like, 
And no, but like when you joined the band, it was, you know, along with the how how strong Art of Balance was, it was like Shadows Fall has arrived. They've graduated to this new level um, of of just proficiency. And and it's a, it's a, just a very, very high level. Um, and in many ways, when I think about your drumming style, it's the perfect band for you to join at that time because it combines some of the stuff being of like the hardcore scene, but you got to actually bring a progressive flair, right. And kind of stretch some of those muscles as well and and be creative. Were you a part of the full creative and writing process of art of balance? Or did you, you were. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, I want, all right. I won't say completely because there were four songs that were written before, like written before I came into the fold, like stepping was already done with Derek Kerr's playing drums and I pretty much kind of just played for the most part played what Derek played but I a couple little different fills or whatnot but Derek was Derek's a great drummer so it wasn't you know anything everything he played was did you change that last groove where it went to the 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 up you change it I'm so mad at you for that (laughs) I don't know if I changed it on purpose it might have been them telling me to change it yeah I don't know I I purposely I like that little I like that off fucking China fucking thing that, that he did but you know it's all right it was a I think that's what he did and then you went with double bass on the ride I'm pretty sure but I have to double check it I where is the Derek version of that song is that available fear will drag you down okay I'll have to I'll have to double check to see if my I'll have to double check it too so next time I play it live in front of you I'll play your part for you well listen that's all I'm always gonna go with the with the grooviness, neck snappiness thing, you know what I'm saying? That's what I'm 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 gonna go with, you know the <laughs> nothing like snapping necks. Exactly. Shout out to um, Stuck Mojo. No, 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 no. I I went. I'm going this way. Oh yes, yeah, snapping your fingers first. Yes. And... Okay. All right. All of the above. All of the above. No offense uh, to Stuck Mojo, but it's all good. It's all good. It's all welcome. All, all, all welcome here. Um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, but back to the writing. Yes. So like four songs were, 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 were done before I came in. I don't know if I changed anything per se, like whatever, maybe this part we're talking about. And then the rest of the record we wrote together at John's parents' house in the TV room. <laughs> yeah. You know, you know, my favorite song off the album is fire in Babylon. It's my favorite. Might be my favorite shadows fall song. I, I love how That's epic it is. Song. That Wait, one we definitely put together in the in the living room because it took us a while on that one. Yeah, it was it was um a reflection of the musical evolution. Like everyone was like coming to their own, and it was I don't know. It was, I thought it was just a very very impressive step for the band. But I, kind, I have kind, to cut. Go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. Keep no, I'm saying like uh, to kind of go back to when you and I met. I guess the record was recorded but it wasn't out yet um, when, 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 when we had met and it was such a, a interesting time because you yeah, had just, we recorded, we, recorded, we not to interrupt you, We recorded in February or March of 2003. Cause we were going in the studio as soon as we got back from Europe with Kitty. And that okay. Was- so no. So, okay. So we do those shows. I'm that record sorry, no, wasn't even. Oh, oh, two, oh, two. I meant. Gotcha. So it was, yeah. So it was, you probably guys, you know, cause I remember on that run, 
or at least around that time, uh, Paul showed me songs. But actually, hold on. I actually think he when uh, Paul showed me the songs, it wasn't on that tour. I think it was at New England Metal Fest of 20. Like we like went out to the van and he was showing me showing me some some of the stuff. So maybe it wasn't around that time. But it was this very, very strange time because I remember doing those shows, feeling underwhelmed. Remember talking to you being like, well, I signed up for this. <laughs> like, no, but but in a way of like this thing of feeling like, man, I'm in this really great band. We've got these great songs. We're overqualified to be like doing shot shows. Like that was like the, the like, like you felt like we, you deserved more. And like, it's like, where are the people? What's going on? Yeah. And within a year. That's a great term. Overqualified to do shot shows. Yeah. But you know, but you feel like you're like, Hey, we're a competent professional band with good songs, but all we're missing is maybe the exposure or missing the marketing or the right label or the right tour or who who, who knows, right? And in many ways that like manifested itself because all of a sudden, you know, I'm telling you a very f- quick amount of time when God forbid was kind of on a break, all of a sudden Headbangers Ball came back and Shadows Fall was like one of the lead bands to be featured there. Ozfest happens 03. Shadows Fall goes on there with Killswitch and Cradle and Nothing Face and Sworn Enemy with all these new metal bands and sticks out and stands out. And all of a sudden, well, I'm, I'm looking at the poster. It was like right here. It, 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 it's funny you mention that, Doc, because this just fell off my wall the other day. <laughs> there you go. There you go. And um, and within that, and I'm and and all of a sudden, the just the what people wanted. I think, and I remember around that time. I think you guys went out with Kitty, did like a tour. You know, well, actually, you toured with Kitty before. What's that? We did, we did. We did a lot of tours with Kitty. We did yeah. Europe with them for four weeks, and then we came and we did a five week tour with them in the states. It was Kitty headlining, fucking Poison, Poison the Well, Kill Switch, Us, and Hotwire. Yeah, and it was, but it was like it was, this. It was insanity. That's that. We had so much fun that summer. Yeah, and. But it was like this turning of the tide because I felt like when you guys toured with Kitty before, it was more like you were um, not riding their coattails, but you were kind of, yeah, you were, they they were this thing that was going on and happening. You were this band out there trying to like grind and sell what you were doing to this crowd. That was kind of a different thing. But by the time that next tour happened and this, and and Poison the Well is part of this too, because they were bringing this whole different energy and having all this popularity, but just the, whatever people were ingesting and what people wanted were changing. It was happening really quickly. And by the time 2003 rolls around and we do the headbangers ball tour, we go from literally one year earlier or like a year and like three months playing in front of 200 people or 150 people at the, the creepy crawl where you guys are co headlining with lamb of God and shadows fall or lamb of God and kill switch rotating and dude and i saw the shows when you guys closed you crushed it like it wasn't like some big walkout or people like the crowd wasn't feeling it you guys did great and all of a sudden it was like you know and me 
I think everybody was fortunate at that time, Doc, because all, all of our bands, you guys, us, Kill Switch, Chimera, everybody gave each other a run for the money, and all the fans wanted to see everybody. It, it didn't matter who played where. That everybody tour wasn't was like say, that for us, though. We they, the, the crowd didn't really know us that well. Like It was like ev everything we did barely mattered. I'm just saying in general, like yeah. uh, not necessarily that tour, but like that fan base generally would would want to see every band on the bill, you know, yeah. and, and kind of, I thought I, everybody supported each other pretty much. Yeah. No, but, but what I'm saying is like everything had changed, right. Yeah. Yep. In a very, in, in a, in a, in a very short amount of time. Um, what you as being kind of like a first person experience kind of going through that, like a, what do you think happened and what did it feel like to kind of see uh, people connect to what the band was doing in real time? It, I have a lot of feelings on a lot of those years. And it's it kind of goes in two-year spans, you know, for me. Like, it was there was like the 2002 to 4 period. There was a 2004 to 6 period, 2006 to 8, and yeah. onward. And it was like this. Yeah. <laughs> i mean when it started crashing into the damn mountain it was crashing into the damn mountain i mean i understand this is a cyclical business but i think a lot of it let's go back to that period okay from watching when once we got home from that summer tour with kitty and then we made the art of balance and then we went out on Ozfest. we could see as us and kill switch were you know the top sellers on the second stage every single week, as far as sound scans and shit like that, people were still buying records. We knew that there was a buzz. We could see it happening. We watched it at the shows. Headbangers ball tour was a culmination of all that hard work for our balance. It absolutely was. And for having the top three bands being the rotating between us log and, and kill switch, you know, obviously with you guys on the one half and on earth on the other half, that was a, a a spectacle tour, I think, for that period of time for that kind of music. I think I think that was also, to me, that was the also the last time you were going to see all those bands in that kind of setting. Because after that, we were out of the 600 capacity Chrome Club. We were at least moving on to Starland or something like that. You know what I mean? And like yeah. it was the end of an era for that. Because then next year, <clears throat> once we put our balance out, Kill Switch puts out. Uh, well, and the heartache was next, right? Was that mm -hmm. after live or just yeah. or live yep. or just they put that out? Lamb of God put their next one out, and everybody started going into the bigger rooms. And then we get Ozfest 2005, we get to be on the main stage. We did the Slipknot tour that year. 2005 was like the year for me of like, holy fuck, is this my life right now? Because nine weeks in the arenas, like that was our first time we ever played arenas, and like. That was just amazing, even though knowing that it wasn't us that was bringing in the 15,000 people. We knew we were probably bringing at least 500. Yeah. So it was cool. And then to do that whole Ozfest with Sabbath and Maiden, like the real bands, like that whole summer, that was just like a, a whole a whole year of them. Oh, my God. And we finally arrived. But, and this is always going to be my opinion, and this is always where... There's some dissension amongst people who they don't feel the same way I feel. Mm -hmm. But like I said, this is a long time ago, and I can talk about this now. 
I just, from my personal, personal standpoint, once we did Threads of Life, our career went, it didn't like, it didn't push us to where we thought it was going to go. Now, I don't want to sit here and go, wow, shoulda, coulda, woulda, blah, blah. But at that time, and I can appreciate it now for what it is, but at that time, I still did not feel a million percent about that album. I just don't know what it was. I don't know what it was. I just, I can't even put my finger, I can't tell you a reason why, Doc. I felt, I think at the time I felt it was because we went to the major label and I'm not blaming anybody. I'm really not. But I do feel like it was sort of a little watered down just a little bit to try to get it more into the mainstream, even though that's not the kind of band we are. We're not. I just think that the two records that we made after Threads of Life are better than Threads of Life. That's the only I agree. place that's, that's the only place I want to leave it. Um, but I just I thought we lost a lot of momentum at that period that was now taken over by Trivium and everybody else who were then going to their next level. And I felt that we never got it back. We never got the mojo back. Yes, we were putting good music out, but we were never getting the, the, and I don't want to, I'm, and I don't mean any disrespect to anybody who kept coming to see us. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Without you, we would have never done anything else. But once it got to be a point where, Okay, guys are getting married. Guys, now this guy has a kid. Now this guy's wife's pregnant. This, now this guy's wife's pregnant again. Oh, I'm still going to stay in the band. Oh, I don't know about this. Oh, this guy. Hey, I'm, I got an offer to be in a big four band. Hey, me. Hey, I'm going to play in Anthrax for six months right now after we just put a record out. I'm guilty of part of this myself. Yeah. Because if you recall, we did one tour for Fire from the Sky. That was a tour we did with Hatebreed. And then I started filling in for Charlie in 2012 for that whole year that he was. Don't, don't forget the, the last Alphabet tours. With, I, was, with... I was getting back to that. So then yeah. I came back for that tour and then I died pretty much after that. Because that's when I had pancreatitis. And that's when Willis had to fill in the next tour. Oh, okay. Yeah. Damn. What's up, everybody? I am Finn McKenty, host of the Punk Rock NBA podcast, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. My podcast is all about doing what you love for a living, and every week I sit down and talk to people who have done exactly that. For example, musicians like Tommy from Between the Buried Me, Matt from Periphery, Lil Lotus and Shinigami, among many others, photographers, artists, designers, YouTubers like Glenn Fricker and Sarah Dietschy, and I unpack exactly how they got to where they are today with the goal of helping you do the same. So if that sounds cool, you can listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com, and I'll see you there. Hi, this is Chad Nicefield. And this is Justin Press. We're the host of Making Waves, the Shiprock Podcast, a part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. We're inviting you to sail away with us on an epic journey in musical enlightenment. Every week, we bring you only the best artists in rock music and discuss everything from the cruise to the stage to the saga of being a professional recording artist. We'll have lots of special guests along the way, so tune in every week. Your stateroom is available every Monday morning, so welcome aboard. Ready for a head-bangingly good time? Dive into the world of heavy metal with the Brutally Delicious Podcast. Here, we don't just talk music. We welcome you into our heavy metal family. Join us for candid chats with legends and rising stars. We go beyond the typical interviews, exploring raw emotions and the life-altering impact 
of heavy metal. So whether you're a diehard metalhead or just curious, join our family and let the headbanging begin with the Brutally Delicious Podcast. Yeah. Like, I'm just remembering all that shit. That's fucking crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that, t- that, t- that tour killed your pancreas and killed our band. <laughs> it, killed, it killed my pancreas, it killed your band, and it kept me off not drinking booze for almost fucking eight years. Wow. Anyways, and now when I have a beer, I don't have more than two, because usually now I, after two, I'm just like, ugh, I can't yeah. do it. So now it's like, it's it's already like my body knows not to drink anymore. But yeah, that, that was not a good period of time. So, but back to it. I felt that at that point, you know, it was the beginning of the end. It really, it, it really was. Paul was out. Paul was out. I got a kid. I'm not coming back. You know, even though he wasn't out of the band, but he didn't come back to the road anymore. And we knew as soon as Brian moved away too. And then when I was on Mayhem, the whole entire time, well, actually it started halfway through Mayhem. And then it continued onto the fall anthrax tour every night. Caggiano be asking me, can John do this gig? I'm like, Rob, you're not going to quit anthrax. You're just fucking mad right now. No, I'm fucking quitting. Fuck this. Fuck this. Can he do this? And of course, what am I going to say? No, I would, I would never sandbag my guitar player because I don't want him to leave the band. I'm like, of course he can do this. It's fucking John. You ever watch this kid play guitar? Of course he can do it. So there was a no brainer. As soon as John left, we just looked at each other. We're like, we're not going to do this without two founding members. We're just, yeah. Which is why we said hiatus. We didn't say we're broken up. We're just like, nah, we're going away. We're just, we're just going away until, until we can't be gone away anymore. Yeah. Well, it's, it's interesting. Cause I, I was asking about the Ascension and you kind of just did the whole art. I know. I just went to the percent <laughs> I mean, there was no like fucking rise to anything. <laughs> well, it, but no, but it, it, it was, and it's, and listen, and, and Rob, you know what I want to say, I'm, I'm sorry. This is what I, I will talk about the Ascension. And this was my point. This was a point that I did mean to say when I started talking about the, the, the first period of time, what I was going to say was, I don't remember much about it, Doc, and I can't really put it into play because we were always on tour. You don't notice it when it's happening around you. That's the thing. And I know so many people have said that, but you don't notice it when it's happening around you. You notice it when it's not anymore. Yeah. At least to me. And like for us, we all we used to write on our website. I always just say always on tour because that's how it felt. We'd come home from a tour three days later. We're out on something else. So when you're gone for that period of time, like you're like, yeah, you see more people are coming to the shows and stuff, but it's just like, oh, it's another tour. It's another tour. It's another tour. And you just keep, you just keep hoping that the momentum is going to stay and it's just going to get better and better and better. And that's been my mentality for all these years. And it still is every, every, and it it goes back to no matter what band I'm playing in uh, any overkill show I go into now, any overkill tour, I understand they have their comfort zone and DD has like, he's like, Oh, as long as, you know, that's why we don't do people ask on me all the time. How come you didn't have an opening spot on this, on the Slayer farewell tour? How come you don't do like the package tours? How come you don't do this? I'm like, because the way they like to present their show, they have a business model. They like to do the full show. They don't like their stage space compromised. They don't like being told they can't bring this in. They yeah. want full production. They don't care if they're playing in front of 10,000 more people for only a half an hour because they know that those 10,000 people probably don't care about them. Didi always says, I'd rather play to my 600 people in a club with my full show than do that. 
And I, I can understand that from that perspective. There's a logic to it. There is, but it's not going to change my attitude every time going into a tour going, man, I just hope this place is fucking, it's sold out and they have to move it to another room next time. That's going to move to the bigger rooms next time, because these guys are going to realize it's bigger than they think it is. So there's always that willingness to, I want it to do better, but still at the yeah. end of the day, if those 600 people still packed out that club, it's still a win-win situation. Yeah. I mean, uh, listen, I, I know what you're, you're talking about because I too became one of those guys who ended up playing with a lot of different bands and filling mm -hmm. in and being a touring member. And, and you know, as well as I do, when someone else is running the show, you just, you either agree and you go along with it and do your job or you don't. Yeah. But you still, but what I'm saying is there's still that thing of like, even if it's not your band, quote unquote, when you're part of it, it feel, feels like your band. You're like, I remember when I was, I was feeling for Lamb of God opening for Metallica. And you're just like, even though it's Lamb of God, I still just felt like the opening band. <laughs> I'm like, all right, we got to go out there. We got we to gotta win these people over. You know, because you're like, you're part of the thing and you want it yep. to do well. And you want, yeah, it's, it's, I think that's, that's very natural. And there's a, I guess, a quasi competitive nature to, to this job where you just, you, you know, you want to do well and you want see pe people to see you doing well and that the endeavors you're a part of um, are fruitful and that there's, and that they're, they're, you're maximizing that potential. And I think having any kind of ambition, there's this idea that no matter what you're doing, you want it to constantly be growing and progressing to some degree. Yeah. Yep. You know, um, yeah, but but kind of going going back to the to the shadows fall thing. What I was going to say is that, you know, the reason why I'm so not necessarily like, I am interested, but I'm 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 connected to the band's arc is that it's not just you guys, but there was a lot of us bands that you felt like everyone's success was somehow tied to each other, that we were a part of a scene, and. So I definitely like, feel that way about you guys, us, you guys, us, kill switching and and hate breed, unearth and 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 uh darkest <clears> hour. <throat> I, well, I don't darkest hour to an extent, but I mean so more not not including them because they're really not in our this close of a vicinity. I mean, yeah. I mean like within spitting distance. Sure. Like us, hate breed, kill switch, you guys, I mean. There was we we played so many shows together over the years. Like even and this translated over even into Europe, like with us on the the uh the tour we did with Kill Switch and Chimera. Yeah, yeah. The the uh it was actually called the New Wave of American Heavy Metal Tour. It was called NIMBY in the bread truck to me. NIMBY in the bread truck. Dude, I'll what a what a what a fascinating time. For 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 those of you guys who don't know, um when this whole scene was kind of taking off it you know though that those um dividends and the level of success was not equal and, and i think we felt uh you guys and us being on century media when you would tour especially around that time with bands who were on roadrunner um and overseas in the uk especially but throughout europe in general you just felt like you had a natural disadvantage because that their brand was so strong and and of we're course, on those... tour with two of Roadrunner's biggest bands at that time over there too. 
Yeah, and like, you know, they're on buses. We're in these weird, like, it's like, I was trying to explain to people, they weren't vans, but they weren't buses. They were like vans you could sleep in. You know? Ours, we used to call ours that they, we, and someone says NIMBY. It was called NIMBY because it just had this license plate that said NIMBY on the back. And we're like, what the fuck does that mean? Not in my like, backyard. It was like a, yeah, right. <laughs> oh, shit. That's probably what it's, Jesus Christ. Not that. Duh. Duh. Wow. After all these years, <laughs> I don't think any of us even thought of that. <laughs> well, anyways, well, anyways, um, it was like that thing to me seemed like a VW bus. That's what it was with just yeah. lungs. It actually, for some some crazy reason, was pretty comfortable. Yeah. <clears throat> but I I I know that. Let's just put it this way: it was definitely com- better than the bread truck because we had to ride in the bread truck the last two days, and it was definitely more uncomfortable than. So that we had the bread older. truck, huh? We had the bread truck. Who had the bread truck? You had I, I, Martin's bread truck. Yes, you did. I don't even remember it. Like, I don't remember sleeping on it. I think I was probably drunk the whole time, though. So everybody was. Yeah. You know why you were drunk? Because you were stealing our rider when we were on stage. Exactly. There you go. I was just, listen, it was, well, it was like this uh, uh, kind of, it was a bittersweet tour because we were so happy to get a great tour. I think it was our third time in the UK, but like by far the the biggest crowds and, and we were, fit you know we fit in very well it was like like it was a it was a really a great way to expose the band but like i said we were living hand to mouth uh you know you didn't have money you didn't you you didn't you know you just and and i don't know that to me that era speaks to i think at least for myself a very kind of toxic part of my personality which was this uh, a desperation right this like this yearning and want to do well and you want people to like you and you want and and it spoke to like at that time um all of my self-worth was derived from the success of my band you know and i think especially when you're young and at that time i was you know pretty young i was 22 23 years old you know um you know that just I, i just think that operating from that standpoint sometimes can make you from a business standpoint, make decisions that aren't that great because you're so desperate to make it that you'll just, I'll take any tour. I'll do, you know, um, you know, and I, and I, and I feel like in, not even in hindsight, like even around that time, I kind of learned that a lot of the bands that were experiencing more success, I don't think had that mentality. I think they were a lot more patient. They were not, uh, uh, their want to do, be successful from the band wasn't as much because maybe they had success in other areas. Like I look at the kill switch guys and go, Oh, this, that Adam was successful as a album producer. And you know, Mike D was a successful visual artist. And, but you know, um, and you know, the land of guy guys, they all had jobs. They, you know, they, they pretty much had, had lives. They were a little bit older, a bit more mature. Um, and I always thought that was an advantage. And I, and, and it wasn't until years later that I realized like, Oh, having a bedrock of kind of uh, security being, you know, being able to take care of yourself outside of the band helps you actually do the band better sometimes. 
Yep. Because you're not just you're not just so fixated on how many dollars are we going to get at the end of this fucking tour, so I can keep my lights on and I can keep them on for another month because we're going to be on the road again and I'm not can't go back to a job for a month. There, it you hit the nail right on the head. It's a it just like that. There's a lot to think of mentally with this with this whole thing as a career. Yeah. And you just can't shut it off. You just can't. You know, I I say this all the time. Especially when I talk to my wife, I'm like, look, my job's not nine to five like it is yours. It's not. It's just, I just can't shut it down at five o'clock. If an email comes in and I'm thinking about a tour for the next half hour on the couch, I'm sorry. That's what's going to happen. It's just, you know, we, we don't live a standard lifestyle. And I don't think that it's like what you're talking about. Just, just this, this, a sense of ease on the road and you're and you can, and it's, it's hard not to be anxious when you're going, well, it's different if you're on a tour and there's guarantees and stuff, but if you're doing any kind of headlining thing or if you're doing door, any, God forbid, door deals or or whatnot, or if or even you're just wondering how the tour is going as you're going along, if you miss a show or you're losing money here or, you know, you got a bonus here, it, you're all it's always on your mind. So any way to alleviate that can make your life easier on tour. Like if you know... Well, you know, I'm out here for five weeks, but I don't have to worry about it when I get home because I've got my other business and I got a check coming from that business. So if even if this thing bombs, I'm going to have fun every night. I'm not, not just going to be so desperate knowing that the only living I have is coming from this fucking five week run right now or, yeah. you know, whatever it is. Yeah. Shitty place to be, man. I've been in it quite some time, all, all, you know, for for months on end being caught up in my own own head, think worrying about the money I'm not making or what I lost or what could have been or, or whatnot. It's just not worth it. At the end of the day, if, if the universe is still providing for me in some way, shape or form, I'm just thanking my lucky stars. So. Sure. Well, I, I remember. Try to do, be the best and, and go as far, far forward as you can and not, not look at back on the past. Yeah, sure. But I, listen, but I remember um, 2010, we had did the tour with five finger, um, together. And, you know, I remember like, I distinctly remember it was like me and you were like the back of the venue, like five fingers playing. And I could just feel like your energy and your, your space where you were just like, you know, cause I think when you, you, you've been grinding, you're working, you're going ahead and you see a band like five finger, just kind of like, come, it's like, it's like that runner who's in the back and all of a sudden they're just like, they've got like robot legs and, and they like lap you, you know, and they yep. were, you know, and they're, and, and clearly like now, even with more hindsight, right. They, they are one of the biggest metal bands in the world. Yep. Um, but at that time, you know, have this conversation about feeling like why them, not us, right. Like having that, those, those feelings, which I think are, are natural feelings. Um, but it, it, you know, there was clearly like, I think for you, like, like I've seen this evolution with you where that was like, you know, you, clearly that was like something that was bothering you. And now it seems like you're in a much comfortable and better place and you're not, I'm those at, things don't bother I'm you at, at all. With it. I'm at peace with it. When yeah. I, when I, with the bands that I've watched surpass my own to levels that I only dream of. Yeah. I am over it because whatever it's, you know, you can't, I, look, I can't, I can't fault anybody for their success. What I can, what I can, um, so I'm just pulling this cord out so I don't rip my, my laptop out of the wall here. Um, what I can look at you seriously 10 years later as an adult and say, 
Why them and not us? You know why? Because they wrote fucking songs that go on the radio. Shadows Fall didn't write songs that go on the radio. Plain and simple. I mean, yeah, we have some that went to radio, and but they just... I know, style, I know their style of writing. I know, I know, I don't want to talk. I don't want to say anything about them in to shed the wrong light or to bash anything. Um, I know how Zoltan crafted his songwriting and what he was doing because he told us back yeah. in 2010 or whenever the hell we toured the UK with him. He told, he told us exactly what he was going after and he was smart about it. And that's that's why them. That's why them. They have hooks. They write the choruses. I get it. Was I jealous? Was I mad? Absolutely. You know why? Because I've been sitting there eating <laughs> for twenty years, and I'm on a I'm on a tour that's supposed to be co-headlining, and this drum tech is fucking coming over and telling me he's not going to strike the kit. Fuck you. That's that's where the anger and things like that come from. Because when you're going to come over here and tell me. Someone who, last time I checked, you're not on the cover of Modern Drummer. Neither is your drummer, but I was. And you're going to tell me that, I that I'm that i not getting what we're supposed to be on right now. We're standing there like, you know, me and my tech, oh, well, you got, you're going to move your stuff? Oh, no, we don't move. Yeah, you do. This is a co-headline tour. So it's things like that that gave me bitterness. My bitterness comes from when, when if there is any, or my animosity would come from bands that, don't treat me and my band the way that we would treat them. That's where it comes from because it, it doesn't matter who you are. I don't care where you are in the fucking food chain. Today I'm here. Tomorrow I might be in Metallica. I might not be, but I might be. And what if I'm the guy that you just fucked over six months ago, but now you're the guy and now I'm the guy and I'm, what if I turn out to be the tour manager of a, a boss of the tour that you're on? And you're coming to me for something. I'm like, oh, you want a drum riser? No, fuck you. I, I wouldn't do something like that. But you know what I'm saying here. You don't piss on people on your way up because you don't know who you're going to run into on the way down. Yeah. Just I just that's what that's what's gotten me over, over over the years. When when I've been treated like shit by a band or someone in a band, you know me and you know me very well. I'm vocal. I'm not going to fucking hold my tongue. And I'm also not going to be apologetic like if someone in my band goes, oh, well, don't say that about them. Fuck you. That guy's a fucking asshole. And I'm going to tell I'm going to tell you he's an asshole. I'm not going to hide first. I'm not going to bite my tongue because, oh, we might get kicked off our tour or we might not get a tour because of something. Fuck you. It's called being human to somebody. It's got nothing to do with touring or where you are in the food chain. Like, look, the first tour, we, we you mentioned Five Finger. I'm sorry. The, the, wound, the fucking Band-Aid came off the wound. We did a fucking tour with them. The first tour we did with them in the States and fucking Martin Lamb comes up to us and tells us that we have to leave the room before they sound check. We're like, why? We were direct support. Uh, the band doesn't want anybody in here when, when they sound check. What? We had just played OzFest 2008 with Metallica like two months later. We watched their sound check. We're like, look, Metallica just didn't kick us out of the building, but, but Five Fingers going to kick us out of the room? Oh, so we don't hear the tracks that no one's going to hear later on? Come on. Sorry. See, I said he evolved. So, <laughs> that's... You know, that's all I'm going to say, man. You know, just don't be fucking, don't be assholes. Yeah, I've been kicked out. I, I got kicked out of uh, the room. It was, it was, it was like 17 degrees outside when Godfit opened up for the soul brains, bad brains. And then 
I was watching um it was it was last time I was in Europe and in Bad Wolves was open up for Megadeth and Five Finger and Dave Mustaine kicked me out. I was changing my strings out front. He was he kicked me out of the, the sound check. <laughs> uh which is pretty funny. Uh but um that is funny. It's all right. It happens. I get it. I get it. It let's I'm I'm just so you know what? Everything all works out. You know, mm-hmm. I try not to take things personally because I, you know, and, and half the time I feel like a lot of stuff, it's not even the band. It's like the crew, it's fucking who knows. But right. anyway, yep. right. Anyway. We gotta we you know so the thing is you can take a motherfucker out of New York, you can't take the New York out of the motherfucker. That's, that's oh, what it exactly is. Exactly not. I think, you know. You got this motherfucker punch you in the dick, all right? From, oh, you know, I'm you, I'm not like that. I just don't. I just don't. I just don't like being douched out by people. That's all. This business is hard enough. You just you don't have to be like that to people. That's all. I hear you. I hear you. I agree. Um, so I kind of want to talk a little bit about before because we've been on for a while. I don't, I don't want to keep you too long, but I appreciate your time and this has been a lot, a lot of fun. Um, and I think me, me and you, you know, we can go all day with this, but. I, I had my afternoon cleared. I just got to do some playing this afternoon. I do have a, I got something I'm supposed to get done today. See, he, he this is a real, real professional over here. Right? He's, he's got he, work to do. He music written out already. I know, I know, but they can't hear that on the on the uh, <laughs> on, on the actual podcast. But actually, I'm actually on my max. I'm sitting there like, looking at my notes too. I'm trying to track the song. I'm like, what does Tom build mean? I'm like, ah, like I, I charted the notes out for the song I got to do today for for a client like last week, and I'm like. Would have helped if I went and recorded it like right after I did it when it was fresh. Now I just got to pretty much relearn it again. But all right, there you go, there you go. No, but I'm I'm really interested in the, in the time when uh, the Shadows Fall decision to kind of go on hiatus. Um, like, what was your emotional state around that? Was there because uh, actually let me ask this: Was there a sense of relief to kind of like not have to kind of grind that 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 grind and that push of trying to make it and going hey i can actually take kind of a beat here and figure out who i am out of this band which was probably such a a a pivotal part of your your identity for so long yeah you know what and i probably should and you know it's funny doc in hindsight i probably should have done that i should probably should have taken some time out and time away and thought about that but i didn't i just dove right into the first thing that i could get and that was toxic because i was scrambling there was no, there was no, whew, it's over. Okay. Well, we're going to, we're not going to do this anymore. It was like, all right, well, this is over. What the fuck am I going to do now? That's sure. exactly how I was. I was like, I, I have no way to make money now. What am I going to do? So you didn't, uh, there was- but I mean, aside from going back to a regular job and that's really what I'm like, well, all right, am I going back to work for the state? Because that's what I thought, you know, that's where I thought it was going. But I just, I ended up, I ended up starting to work with Toxic and and that was fun, but it just wasn't going to, it wasn't going to do anything to an extent of even bringing any kind of financial end to it. Yeah. So it was kind of fledgling and me spending money that I had saved up to pay my bills and then... I got called for Flotsam and at least it was, it was something that, all right, this is one of my favorite bands and I love playing in Flotsam. I still, I still, I still miss playing in that band because I just love that band so much. So at least that door was able to open to get me back out into a state where I was at least working a little bit more and back out playing, even though they were still trying to rebuild too at the time. So 
it was still sporadic touring. Yeah. And it just, it was just one of those things where like, I never took that downtime. I just, you know, I had to just keep going, doing whatever it was I was doing, trying to do sessions to keeping lessons as much as I possibly could. Just anything I could to just try to keep money coming in. Yeah. Um, at that just, point, go ahead. Sorry. I was like, and it just kind of kept going. You know, I just, just keep looking for the, for the next thing. And when <clears throat> Flotsam started to become sort of like, like stagnant, cause it didn't really seem like there was much happening. Um, and that's when Bobby called me and I was just like, Oh, this is definitely a better move than where I'm at. And I initially wanted to stay in both bands, but they just were like, no, we want you to be in our band and that's it. We don't want to, you know, have to share right now. If like, if you're going to join overkill, we want to establish you as our drummer. Like now it's no big deal. Like going back and doing it. like Chad's was always one of those things. That was always the stipulation, but like, if you get a show or whatever, you know, that that's your band, we get it. But you know, they, for the first, for the first record, at least they wanted me to be just the drummer in overkill. Yeah. So that's why I had, I had no choice but to leave Flotsam. And, and with overkill, it's a much more, consistent thing in terms of i mean i was looking that's like what how many records have 20 <laughs> records it's it's insane uh, listening, to, listening to the mixes for album 20 today as a matter of fact yeah it's um we think it's, we think it's finally done four mixes later uh, well we got the mastered version we we're listening to today well no but it, like like just from the outside looking in you see the catalog you see the consistency of of release schedule the the band is always kind of like you said there seems like they have a system in terms this is of the only time we didn't get the record released when they really wanted to have it done and that's only because of covid yeah yeah we, we made that decision to push it back another eight months because dd did not want to release a record that we weren't going to be able to go tour on and, and you I also need the for a band like that you need the vinyl ready too because that's yeah. a big seller for a, for a band like that. But I was just looking like the chart, like the chart positions. I mean, overkill is a global band, you know, that people still care. And it's, um, you know, and when I say the consistency, I don't just mean in terms of the quantity, man, there's, you know, the, in, in some respects, I feel like the band had like a, a Renaissance going back maybe 10, 12, 15 years where there's almost like this, you know, um, there's still like a classic, classic element to the band but it still feels very vibrant and like it doesn't feel like oh here here we're going to make the donuts it seemed like this is a band that's just like loves what they're doing lo you know is it's connect yeah. and it feels yep. it's an it's amazing i don't i don't even know how they do it to be that connected and that like mm, it's all there they there's their way they've been doing it so so long like that and that's what works for them and that's what keeps the overkill machine working and it's like they always say it's like look we're not the biggest band we don't play in front of the biggest crowds but we what we have we have and we're thankful for that and that's you know if we stay at that level that's what we're good at and like, i'm like okay i can't complain with that i mean like like i said i'm a member i am a member i'm a full-fledged member of the band i'm just not an owner there's two owners blitz and Didi. they yeah. own the band we're all members though. Everybody's a full member of the band. We're just not owners. Yeah. So Sorry. it's, but as, as it should be, because they're the ones that started in 1980. So, you know, well, Blitz really, or I mean, uh, Didi really, Didi and, and Rat, but still, um, everybody's opinion is, is respected, asked, you know, everybody's opinion matters. 
you know, we're just, I literally, we just had a half an hour conversation this morning. We were trying to figure out what, you know, our year is going to be because we just got the masters back and Didi called me this morning. He's like, what do you think? I'm like, cut and print. Let's go. <laughs> Sounds good to me. Let's, let's not change it anymore. Cause I can hear everything. It sounds good. Don't, don't mess with it. <laughs> <laughs> who, who mixed this one? Colin Richardson mixed this oh, one. Fucking the, that's my favorite. That's my favorite mixer ever in metal. So, yeah, but you know, it's really hard for me from having so many records with Zeus and having Zeus do my, the last one with overkill. And now I'm like, all right, well, the guy who's doing this one doesn't know me. I'm not, well, I mean, obviously I know Colin, but I'm like, it's not, I know the level of, of uh, what Zeus will do with my drums. Zeus yeah. will sit there and listen to everything by itself. And Zeus knows how I play. And Zeus is familiar with my style. So it's very easy for him to mix a record. And I was like a little apprehensive, not apprehensive because I know Colin Richardson's great, but I'm like, is he going to pay attention to detail the way Zeus would? And he did. So sounds great. Cause I mean, I do a lot of little things on this record. And I'm like, there's a lot of things. I'm like, I'm not hearing that. I'm not hearing it. It was the first, but it was like, oh, like I played my ass off on this, but you can't even fucking hear it. <laughs> well, that's yeah. like the guitars are too loud. The snare drum's not loud enough. The guitars are too loud. The snare drum's not loud enough. <laughs> are, is a uh, Overkill on a label, or, the, or is the band putting their own records out? Nuclear Blast. Nuclear Blast. There you go. Yep. You yep. They, listen, Colin ain't, ain't cheap. <laughs> no. April twenty twenty it comes out. So we'll be we start in April on the tenth of uh twenty twenty or twenty twenty three. Did I say twenty twenty? Twenty twenty three. I know. It's weird, right? To say twenty twenty three. It's like I don't even remember anymore. It's the future. <laughs> so how is it for you, you know, now that you've had um so we had the Shadows Fall reunion show. What was that? Uh not this past um when was it? Last December. Last last December, so yeah, so 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 not that long ago. Um, yep. What was the impetus for that happening in that in that moment, and um, and what was what were the vibes for for that show? The impetus is we started talking about it in 2018. We had a potential date in 2019, and no, I'm sorry, we started talking about it in 2017. We had a potential date in 2019. We couldn't do it because either me or John was on tour. So then we pushed it again to 2019. And then something happened again with 2019 that either me or John wasn't available or we just couldn't get our shit together. So we moved it to 2020. Well, obviously we knew 2020 didn't happen because the fucking pandemic fucked that all up. Um, but we started rehearsing. We started rehearsing a little bit like at somewhere in the pandemic in case that show was going to happen. And then we realized that it wasn't. Um, so we kind of just cut down to getting together all the time. And then we pushed it again to 2021. So we've been talking about it for a while, but it was like, it was making sure that we could get a date where we were all free and making sure we really wanted to do it. So the talk was there. And of course we kept saying possibly, 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 but then once we locked the date in, we were good, but then COVID happened. So we pushed it again. So as soon as we knew that, we hope that it's going to happen this time. Like we really started knuckling down. It wasn't like we were smart about it. We said, let's not try to learn fucking 20 songs. Let's everybody put some songs together and what they want to play. Let's everybody pick something, blah, 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 blah. So we all just started conversating by email first and then text chain. That's got Lee involved and everything. And then once it was going to be a show, 
you know, we just started doing everything possible. We were, we, we started rehearsing. What we did was we would get together maybe once, once every other week for like the first month. And then it was like once a week. And then it was like every week for a couple months. And then we broke because I don't know, for some, John was away for a while because when Anthrax was doing the uh, pay-per-view thing in LA. So he was, a, he was away for a while doing that. And then once things started opening up and we knew, we knew where to go, we were just, we were, you know, just fucking boom, boom, boom every week as much as we could while things start, other guys were playing. I had a show or whatnot. I'd go away. You know, I would have a couple of weeks we wouldn't practice or whatnot, but we just tried to play every week so we could keep everything together and not be scrambling before the show. And that worked out great because we really, our first practice, even we were just like, holy shit. I think we surprised ourselves. There was no, there was no song where we stopped and we're like, oh, what the fuck happens now? It was just like maybe a couple of stupid little mistakes here, but we were all like, if we just got thrown on stage and had to, and just did that, it wouldn't have been really that bad, but yeah. you know, <laughs> so it just gave us an ability to, to get the band tight. And I think, you know, Brian's talked about this in interviews too. We practiced more, I think for that show than we ever practiced when we were practicing. Cause then once he, he came into play, he was home. He came in to rehearse for like a couple days and then how did that work out? No, it was before he came in. He came in twice. There was, he was home. He was home or something. He was, he was on the, he was on the East coast for something in the summer and he came up for a couple of days and we got together and then we rehearsed again right before the show. That's what it was. I, I was mixing that up with, I'm like, I picked them up from Albany. I'm like, wait a minute. That was right now for Blue Ridge. <laughs> I, can't, I can't keep track of it anymore. Well, it seems so, like yeah, the show, I mean, the show sold out, which is amazing. And then I saw the out. footage. It sounded amazing it was awesome i mean i i i have to tell you it, i it couldn't have it couldn't have gone any better um the best part was being able to bring most of our old crew back to work for us that night you know moa back in front of house and uh you know felix's guitar tech and my my buddy brian was joe joe uncle joe was back there even though he wasn't drum tech and he was still there um, so it was nice just having the family together and everybody and their kids and stuff. And it was a, it was a long day for everybody, especially with the meet and greet, but it was totally worth it. I mean, we, we played great. Everybody had an awesome time. Everybody got fucking 2004 drunk. Not us, <laughs> everybody in the crowd doc. We had a, a, a VIP after party in the small room of the palladium upstairs after the show, like it wasn't like we dilly dallied in a dress room. We all went upstairs, just changed our clothes like 10 minutes, smoke a little bit, fucking, all right, let's go down to the after party. You couldn't talk to anybody. Everybody was so, I'm doing this like all day. I'm standing there and I'm like, I don't even understand anybody. And I, and like, I just like, you know, catch someone in the band, like just, just like looking at each other, just like laughing our ass off. We're like, there's no way we're ever going to even catch up to these people. So don't even cry. <laughs> and it also solidified what Brian said all this for all this time. Ain't no party like a fucking shadows fall party. So, well, well I almost flew in, but I, um, I had a wedding band gig the day before. And I was like, there's no way I'm going to make it, <laughs> you know, after, after, after doing that. But, um, you know, so I was there. In spirit. In spirit. All right. It was great. It was great. It was a good time. 
It's good. No, it's great. And, you know, we got to do the Blue Ridge together, at least on, on different days. But, uh, well, Bad Wolves played the same played the same day. And I thought that was great. And then we're also going to get to play again on this uh, this Lamb of God cruise, the Headbangers boat. So it's, it's you know, it's it's very interesting. It's it's like, like I said, it, again, our careers have this parallel. It's just it is what it is <laughs> uh, where – you know, like it's it's funny because I like I wish God forbid could rehearse th- that much, but we're like literally on different sides of the the country. So we're but even with that, I actually thought God forbid was pretty tight. You know, I thought we we did we did pretty good. I've seen we, the videos, the guys sounded great. We, we would have been a lot tighter. I just wish we could have saw you in person, but John had to get married. Hey, son of a bitch. No, but we I think we would have been tight tighter if just the the monitors were pretty bad. So like, oh, our monitors were shit there too. So were anthraxes yeah. too. They were complaining too. Yep. Yeah horrendous yeah so it was it was it wasn't like the worst but it was it definitely when you're playing stuff of a certain technical level uh there's certain things yeah. where i was like leaning in to hear like i couldn't yeah. really hear the snare drum and they put nick's guitar like super loud so my vocal i'm like i was looking listen back i'm sharp in spots because that guitar was so loud that i just didn't have a a great representation um you know but you know but hopefully like the, these shows we have coming up will be will be that much better because we'll hopefully be able to we'll be able to hear hear, hear ourselves. But I mean, and, once and, and again, I saw I just saw the flyer. I'm like, why is it going to be that weekend? God damn it! What weekend is that? The weekend you're playing. I'm I'm not available. Yeah, it's by the way, it's January sixth and seventh. Ain't I, I no know, one doing I'm, nothing I'm on gonna, January sixth and seventh except I'm you. Be somewhere. I have a gig. I can't talk about it yet, but I'm going to be somewhere. Well, I'm saying, but we, we literally wanted to do it there because we're like usually that early January is pretty like barren as far as like touring. And well, we wanted to do it actually at Christmas, and then Killswitch came in and swooped in and did booked all the same places. And we're like, well, we don't want to compete with them. So yeah, we were in the mix for that, but it didn't go. It didn't come through. Us too. We were like, yo, they're like, we're like, what do you want? We're like everything. <laughs> to, to be honest doc i think that's why we're not on it either yeah yeah because it's <laughs> they like said, they said what do you want we said well and then we saw lot. the flyer and we went well i guess they <laughs> yeah well no because they're doing those shows to like they for their, because they're pay their get you know for their uh christmas right. spending christmas is coming exactly we exactly. know we know look we've all been in this business the same amount of time we all know <laughs> yeah well for us though i actually really you know, I wanted to headline. I wanted to put the focus on us because yeah. we haven't yeah. done it. And it's, uh, you know, and hopefully, you know, I don't know if we're, our shows are going to sell out, but I'll, you know, cross cross my fingers. Hopefully they'll do they'll do well. Um, I think you guys got, got it together absolutely with Bleeding Through on both shows. I think that'll be, that that's going to drop people no matter what. Yeah, no, that was like really, that's the big reason why, you know, like I, Ideally, I probably would have liked another month of promotion or something like that. But locking them in was like, it was like, hey, if we don't do this, we're not going to be able to get them. I was like, I think having another band from our scene that hasn't, you know, that's, you know, I guess they broke up or kind of like went on hiatus around that similar time. So it just makes it special. It's a special show. So I'm I'm excited about it. But I, I imagine... And you could tell me if I'm wrong that you guys are probably in the similar situations, God forbid, where, you know, guys have other jobs and bands and things. And you kind of you'll figure out spots you can do it where it makes sense. We're picking and choosing. That's exactly it. We're just we're going to I mean, 
No, it's not like we're, I'm not going to lie to you and tell you that we're not in it for the money because absolutely we are. We're going to, we're going to pick and choose and take the money gigs. We're, we're the reason why, and you can back me up on this. We did way too many fucking tours where you're out for five weeks and you come home with a thousand dollars in your pocket. What, what the fuck? What, what, what's this going to do? I'd rather go play one show for the year that's going to make $5,000 in my pocket. I don't care if I play one show. If I go play one show and it's going to be that worth it to me, fine. And that's why we say we're not going to do tours unless unless something really special came through and the money was right. We don't want to just go repeat what we've done before or repeat what we do in our other bands. John and I are salaried members of bands. When we go on the road, we're going to get our salary. It doesn't matter how the merch does because we're not going to see any of it. So we know what we have to do in our day jobs because those are our day jobs. If we're going to go do this, it's got to be fun for us. We don't want it to be a situation where let's go to the 12 shows, but two of them are going to suck and it's gonna break, not going to break even. Then people are going to be miserable by the third day. Nope. We're going to, it just like you said, pick and choose the shows that make sense, the shows that are going to be fun, is this would take a little less money to be a part of an amazing thing? Okay, awesome. Let's go do that. Right on. Well, I'm glad to have you guys back, and uh, I'm look, looking forward to that cruise. I think that's going to be uh, that's going to be wild. a fucking great time, dude. That's going to be <laughs> that's, interesting. Yeah, and I am, and I'm sure they're going to announce some more cool bands and more more friends, and, and it's because it's going to be it's a very very cool time, and I'm very. You know, I'm I have a lot of humility about what impact our bands made for a long time. I was like, does anyone care? I don't know. And all of a sudden, it seems like people care, and that's cool. Uh, but I'm also, uh, I'm very much like, I'm a hang back, and if opportunities present themselves, great. But if it if they don't, that's fine too. I'm very happy uh, with my our legacy because you know, because I don't I don't live in the past. I really don't. It's all no, about what's in front I'm, of me. I'm of the same. I, I'm of the same. As much as I love playing in Shadows Fall and being a part of Shadows Fall, I'm not going to sit there and go, oh, this show is awesome, but it wasn't fucking Slipknot 2005. Oh. Uh, I'm fucking very fortunate and very happy if we get to play in front of a few thousand people or a few hundred people or whatever the number is. Like, getting back to that reunion show, that reunion show was fucking electric. And I'm going to tell you that John and I, as much as that the band needed it, John and I needed it too, personally, because this was something different for us, for the two of us to see that room sold out because of something that we built yeah. and not because of something that we're just lucky to be a part of right now in the bands that we play in. Yeah. So it was very special for us because we know this is our creation. We fucking put the heads in this building. Yes, the opening acts helped too, but we, we made this, we created this. And I also think that we needed it as a band because we never played that final show because we, we, we just went out on a hiatus with a band that wasn't even three. It was only three fifths of the, of the band for God's sakes at that point. Yeah. Um, Cause the last few shows that I, you know, it was just like John was out. Felipe was filling in. It was, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't the same anymore. So I mean, we were I, the same situation. It was like, right. We had Matt, right. Matt Wicklin. And we also right. had a fill in on, on base too. So it was, Right. So, right. Exactly. So I think for us to play that reunion show, if that ended up being our last show, I would have been fine with that because 
hiatus and everything that still gave us a sense of closure knowing that we could come back fucking eight years later and fucking decimate the palladium the way we did that was that was very very self-fulfilling for all of us i think and and it made it gave me a great sense of pride being able to to walk out of there that night and 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 know that you know that that building was electric and we had a great time in it and if that's all that happens then that's great you know did you guys film it not for real. I mean, I I did my, put my GoPro up and just did drum cam videos, but we didn't do it for we didn't do it for real. We talked about it, but there was a lot of apprehension on the fact of what if we suck? We're just well, supposed yeah. to have this fucking thing filmed, and then we're not gonna be able to put it out. That'll suck. So let's just put it this way: there was some of us that wanted to film, and some of us who didn't want to film. So we didn't film. We filmed ours, and we're so... Um, we should have, because we were great, goddammit! <laughs> and we didn't spend... Like, the, well, I think we spent, you know, a couple grand, you know? We, like, you know, just kept it homies, nothing crazy, yeah, just, just capture the just moment. We just chose not to. We just chose not to. Right on. Well, it's all good. It's all good, you know? But listen, listen brother, I'm going to let you go. I got uh, Kyle I'm sharing this room with. He's 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 doing his thing. He's like, well, let me know when you're done. So he's, he let me borrow, borrow, borrow the room. But, uh, dude, man, this has been so... Right. It's been so much fun. I, I just really appreciate you uh, taking your time. I know how how, how busy you are. And uh, course, Thanks for having me on. You, it, I feel like this this show would is exists for conversations exactly like this for us to kind of share our history and 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 talk about you know the the scene i think that we're 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 a part of that we're lucky to be a part of that we helped cultivate um and share that with with the people that listen that's what it's all about so yeah i appreciate it man well listen you you take care um congrats on the new overkill record i i can't wait to check that out everyone what is, do we know when that's coming out April 2023. April 2023. You guys know, put it on your calendars, all right, metalheads. I can't, I can't give you a title. I think I know what it is, but I'm not sure. <laughs> so, so I don't want to say the wrong title. And I, two days later, I'm like, that's not what I told Doc. <laughs> it's all Why good. It's I all good. That one, damn it. <laughs> it, is, it is all good. All good, man. Well, listen, you take care of yourself, and I'm sure I will see you sooner than later. Be well. Be well. You too, bud. Bye-bye.
I wanted to. I wish I had one of those new Overkill songs to play, but I was thinking about playing something from the 2019 album. I was like, you know what? I'll play some Shads because I, I think that song is super badass. And uh, yeah, speaking with my man Jason Bittner was super badass. I love that dude. And uh, I can't wait to see him soon. When am I going to see him next? I'm not sure. I'm like, oh yeah, because I'm playing with John and Matt on these God Forbid shows, but he won't be there, I don't think. But I hope you guys enjoyed that. And I, like I said, I love to get the old school homies on the show. That's, 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 that's what this place is for. You know, we get some new school people, but you know, try and mix it up as much as we can. But uh, I think that's, that's, that's pretty much that's all that's going on. Uh, I got a couple weeks here. I got to start thinking about the holidays. You know, it's always a stressful time. And I'm going to get home like 10 days before Christmas. So after whatever I do, I'm going to have to figure out in that very small amount of time. At the same time, trying to figure out this God Forbid show, promote some stuff, do some stuff. But it's going well. Tickets are selling pretty well for the, uh, for, for the, for the shows, and that's exciting. And I think it's just going to be a fun time. So, all right. I'm going to get out of here. I got nothing to say. I'm sorry. Usually I'm a, I'm a chatty Cathy, but not so much today. I'm in this room. I'm borrowing Volbeat's crew room. And they're, they're going to be done like 15 minutes. They're going to come in here and they're going to look at me crazy. Like, hey, player, this ain't your fucking room. And, uh, and, I, and I will have no retort. And I'm like, this isn't my office. And then I'll, I'll scurry away. By the way, that's a Paul Reiser reference from Beverly Hills Cop 2. All right. For those who know. All right. That's, that's how I roll. All right. Beverly Hills Cop 2. Okay. Anyway. All right, y'all be good. Merry Christmas. Listen to the motherfucking got Bad Wolves song, the Christmas song, if you want. If you don't like Christmas, that's right. Maybe we need to make uh, some Kwanzaa jams, you know, next year. <laughs> Are there any Kwanzaa songs? I know they got to be out there. They're probably not good, but maybe we can make, maybe we can make the first good Kwanzaa song. Now, there's got to be good Kwanzaa songs, right? You know, some like Afrocentric artists out there just laying it down. All right, I'm looking forward to it. Y'all be good, keep it real. Hopefully Black Friday did not wax your ass and uh, you still have some credit left. Be good, Mom out.
Ready for a head-bangingly good time? Dive into the world of heavy metal with the Brutally Delicious Podcast. Here, we don't just talk music. We welcome you into our heavy metal family. Join us for candid chats with legends and rising stars. We go beyond the typical interviews, exploring raw emotions and the life-altering impact of heavy metal. So whether you're a diehard metalhead or just curious, join our family and let the headbanging begin with the Brutally Delicious Podcast. Oh, oh.